Well, as I mentioned um, already, I'm Pastor Eric. Um, let me give a little bit of a setup for today and how things are going, but I, I, I did want to do whatever dismissal is happening for the children today that I, I officially dismiss um, those who are dismissing. Those who are going to stay around, go ahead and stay in here right now. Um, and uh, so, so today is a, is a different service for a couple of different reasons. Um, we have a value here at Common Ground Northeast that deals with justice, equity, um, under the name of the Ministry of Reconciliation, which is what Paul talks about inside of the scriptures. Um, and so as today unfolds, what I want you to know is that there is, um, most notably, there's not going to be any music today. Um, it actually has mostly to do with we had a gap in our rotation and over some time of trying to figure out what we want to do with that, it just felt natural to say maybe God wants us to um, let this be a place of space today and not just try to fill the silence. And so today, just be okay with silence. Know that those transitions that are usually, uh, you know, as polished as Common Ground Northeast cares to be polished and produced on a Sunday morning, uh, we tend to be a little bit more organic in that world. Um, but uh, it may not be quite um, in, in, the, in the realm of, of what, you're, what you're used to today. Um, today, what we want to do is call our attention to and gather in response and in lament to the lives that were lost at the, the Buffalo shooting that happened recently. I know a lot of people process these things differently, um, and then there's some things that have gone on here in our own church that we want to um, just bring up uh, here in, in, in stints and pieces. Um, what I also want you to know, too, today is that there are some things that Pastor Ken and I have prepared, but by and large, today is very loosely put together. We have some ideas of things we may or may not end up sharing today. We have some things that we believe the Holy Spirit has put on our heart, but we actually haven't coordinated very much um, in this and just ask the Holy Spirit to let this be a, an open moment of raw response of who we are as a church to the tragedy that has taken place, um, to, to an act of domestic terrorism that has taken place, and to uh, allow our church to sit in this for a little bit, um, kind of full stop, not just move on with our series and um, and engage. And we'll come back to the series uh, of, of the gift of the spirits here in the coming weeks. But um, today is a time to respond uh, to what we have seen take place here in our, um, in our uh, country. I want to start us off, since we don't have music, in a liturgical response. Now, you've seen us borrow. I know I'm, I'm not from a tradition that uses liturgical response. Some of you are, and some of you aren't. And so what I love about a Common Ground is that as a church, we try to collect from different um, heritages and the beauty of God's creative um, church governance, and that some people do this differently. And so what I want to do is invite you into um, a response that I borrowed from a liturgical book uh, that is uh, mostly for people who are doing justice work. Um, and so you will have one response that you are collectively going to be asked to say, and I'll do some readings in here, but your response is this, Lord of all nations, help your people. And we'll leave it up there just in case you forget, and I'll stop and I'll cue you by just saying Lord of all and allow you all to respond today. And so here is our response today. We remember that in his life, passion and death, Jesus identified with the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized in society. Let us join in a litany of intercession for all whom Christ has seen, suffered, and died, for all whom Christ has lived for to this day. Let us pray for all who commit themselves to God's mission to establish human relationships based upon freedom. Save us from indifference and give us courage to work for justice and responsible freedom. You may respond, Lord of all. Lord of all nations, help your people. 
We pray for the affluent and developed and developing countries that they may not succumb to materialism. Help us to discover our worth in terms of what we can become as people rather than in what we own or consume. You may respond, Lord of all. Lord of all nations, help your people. We pray for countries in which there is exploitation of natural resources. The earth is desecrated to satisfy the lust for profit. Save us from misusing what you have given for all to share. You may respond. We pray for all tribal and aboriginal peoples threatened with dispossession and the loss of ancestral lands, for those who are native to the lands that we now stand on. Help us to remember that the land is yours, God, and that we hold it in trust for future generations. You may respond, Lord of all nations, help your people. We pray for all minority communities faced with the loss of their cultural identity. Help us to respect each other's person's way of life. You may respond. Lord of all nations, help you. We pray for refugees forcibly uprooted from their homeland to live as aliens in other lands. Help us to find human solutions to this human tragedy. You may respond. We pray for all people separated from one another because of religious or political differences. Help us to work for the dialogue and goodwill among people that we would do our work in the name of Jesus Christ, even when we interact with differing faiths and political convictions. You may respond. And may we do all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who is Savior, of the Prince of Peace and the one who has enabled us to reconcile all things back through him, you may respond. Lord of one, one of the things as we come together um, is just to kind of interact in the way different communities respond to moments um, like what we have seen take place. Um, I know uh, over the last uh, couple of months, there have been moments where I have spoken or stated things that were in misrepresentation, misrepresentation of, uh, it, it, it came from a white perspective, a white point of view, but misrepresented people of color who were present inside of our um, community. And so um, as we responded to January 6th, um, you remember the week after that, I came up to apologize. Um, something that I learned more recently um, from a guy by the name of Brian Lawrence. He was just using a communication paradigm to talk about the difference in the way in which white people tend to respond to something like this versus the black community and people of color. Is when an act like this is done, there's, there's almost this separation, right? That we want to stand in the gap and bear the burden of our brothers and sisters, but, but there's a, a, a misconnection. He said this communication tool is helpful because often in the white community, just in general, but also when they see something happen in the news and, it, and it's not directly connected because it doesn't, the, the, the tragedy does not look as if it affects them directly. They kind of go to this level two communication. It's a statement of facts. It just kind of says the reality of what it's like. I'm not ignoring that. And we didn't ignore the January 6th event, right? But I definitely came up and gave a very disconnected, disassociated restatement of the facts and so the week after that, um, my brothers in Christ, uh, Anthony Dumas and, and Dwayne, both uh, Dwayne was an elder at the time, Anthony is still 
um, an elder here over the next couple months um, until as his term ends, uh, came to me and, and, and rebuked me. Like, man, that was fine, but then you kind of just went on as like business as normal. And so what I want to do is kind of call us in all communities to share in this experience together. That sometimes there's a disconnect, I think, that, that the white community has to get over, has to be able to feel this as if it was your brother and sister, as if it was your children, because according to Jesus, it is our brothers and sisters and our children, our mothers and fathers that were attacked. And so sometimes there's this lack of visceral, I think, connection often that takes place. And so the invitation today, um, I, I say for, for us, is to, to join each other shoulder to shoulder, to sit in the sorrow and to sit in the lament because this has happened to us, not them. This is us. And to, to walk in and, and know that that's kind of a, a place that we want to start from today. Pastor Ken, that, that's, that's my, uh, I guess, my perspective. I'm walking in. I'd love to know what, what, um, what thoughts you have just as we open up. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, first of all, thank you for your flexibility and agility because there's something about, obviously, always the gifts of the Spirit are always appropriate, but somehow for me personally, and I was slated to preach this week, mm -hmm. I found it very hard to pursue my sermon. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, like, we really need to talk about this. This hurts. Uh, and I believe I know that I, I worship with people and I go to a church that holds this as their value, and it just seemed like there would be something wrong with business as usual. Yeah. So I'm so glad that we took this time so that collectively we can discuss this, we can list this uh, in this sanctuary um, because I would not have been able to preach with passion mm -hmm. the theme when this is what's on my heart. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. So... Here's where I'm at. Are you serious? No freaking way. Tell me you kidding. Ten people dead? What happened to the shooter? Camouflage, fatigues, body armor? Did somebody do something to him? Just shopping, man, for Sunday dinner? And they did? What did they do? Okay, hold up, hold up. Where is Psalms 13? Man, God, can we talk? Hold up. How long, Lord? Will you forget us forever? This really happened again? How long are you going to hide your face from us? How long must we wrestle with these thoughts? 
Why is there a weight of black and brown skin? Why is that a sin? How long must my wrestle in these thoughts and day after day, why does my heart have to be broken over and over again? It doesn't matter that it happened in Buffalo. It happened to people who look like me for no other reason than the fact that they look like me. So then it happened to me. It can happen to me. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer because you are sovereign Lord and you are my God. I profess you. I believe you. And now I need you. We need you. Will you give light to my eyes? Because I can't see this. Or will I sleep in death? And my enemies will say, I have overcome him. It looks like that he won. Because he killed 10 people. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall because someone will send a joke and say, is it too soon to say clean up on aisle three and four and five? They really get to say that? But I will trust in your unfailing love I need some help, but I trust you. I don't like it, but I trust you. But I need you to give my heart something. I want to sing a song. What is the burden of black skin in America, brown skin in America? Douglas, Georgia Douglas Johnson said this, my pathway lies through worse than death. I meet the hours with bated breath. My red blood boils, my pulses thrill. I live a life running uphill. Ah, no, I need no paltry play of makeshift tiss for the holiday. For I was born against the tide. And I must conquer that denied. I shun no hardship, fear or foe. The future calls and I must go. I charge the line and dare the spears. And I go down fighting through the years. Thank you for this space and for this time. Um, I know that in my lifetime, there has always been an understanding of, it's not explicit, nobody says it, but you learn it very early. And your people prepare you for it. That there's a dominant culture and you're not in it. 
And so you learn to make the adjustment. You learn, and, and, and in particular, I know that down through my history, my mom, I'm going to say something that's going to sound crazy, but, but, but it's true, and as an adult, I look back on it. I think my mother was scared of white people. And it played out in the way that she always prepped us for engagement with white people. Um, she always made sure that we stayed in what, white, in what she would consider white people's sweet spot. So when you go to school, do this so you won't get labeled. I even remember getting a whooping, right? And the motivation, part of the motivation for my discipline was so that I would walk in a particular way where white people wouldn't have to discipline me hmm. because she feared what that would look hmm. like. So that was transferred to me at an early age, uh, this fear. Um, because in our world, white people had all the power. Like, so I went to an IPS school. 95% um, of the student body, like I went from kindergarten to the eighth grade and I only went to school with two white people, Bonnie and Billy Jolliffe. However, I only had two black teachers, my first grade teacher and my second grade teacher. Mm. Everybody else that had power was white, right? Every principal I've ever had, every instructor I've ever had in my life was white. So I learned to, to be who they wanted me to be in all of those scenarios. Mr. Mattingly, Mr. Reed at Tech High School, and Richard G. Landini at Indiana State University always represented power. And I never lived life thinking they had to be anything other than who they were. I always had to adjust my life mm -hmm. to fit what they desired for me. And when you grow up like that, self-esteem, self-value, self-worth, nothing that you get from the larger community, right? You have to go find that somewhere else. Hence for me, the black church, mm -hmm. right? It's where I where I was formed, where I was fashioned. The only place I ever could go and feel really good about who I was, my contribution to the world, uh, was in the church. And that's where they, they worked hard to prepare you and to make sure that, that you understood that you had a contribution. And they taught you how to navigate and negotiate uh, the larger, white, more powerful world. And, and so that's what I did. So I did good in school hmm. because my mother prepared us. But it was always two different languages. Like there was, there was whatever the answer was at school, but then there was where I lived in the community. So I also had to learn to say, you know, what up, dog? You know, like that, hmm. because cause the language at school didn't transfer to the playground. Mm -hmm. So I've lived my whole life, is it code shifting or whatever? Yeah, code shifting, yeah. Code shifting, mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, and I'm just grateful for a space and a place 
um, where we can come and have extremely sincere dialogue about the division because I think at this particular time when things like this happen, as the songwriter said, it makes me want to holler, mm. throw up both my hands, quit, and give in. And yet I know that spiritually, that's exactly what we should not do. Mm-hmm. That it does take all of us. It takes dialogue. It takes conversation to heal what is broken. And I needed this today because I can't preach on the Holy Spirit today. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just want to invite everyone here just kind of to consider the way this, the way that you respond and the weight um, that is, that is different between what Pastor Ken just said and what, what I just said. There's, there's this sense of like, uh, um, like how, how could this happen again? And then there's this sense of like, it's going to keep happening again unless something changes. And then there's this sense of I didn't walk out the door that next day wondering if I would look face to face at an armed gunman. Um, and multiple reviews, you've seen lots of... Um, writings out, uh, you know, to, to qualify the idea, uh, even, even as I was having a conversation, I was listening to a podcast this weekend, someone mentioning the obvious conclusion of, well, you know, like, at the black church, we have, you know, like, a, we have a security team, and the assumption there was there, and, and, and me, I'm like, I don't know that I've had a security team, there was, there was one time at a larger church I was at that they had the guys, you know, with the, with the earpiece in, but the assumption of on-guardness, and you all didn't hear this, but I had a conversation with Pastor Darrow when, um, when the shooting took place um, and it targeted the Asian population, um, and them having their own conversation about when it was going to be time to, everyone's here, go ahead and lock the doors so we can start our, um, our service. Now, we didn't have that conversation that day, right? We, as a white church, as a mostly white church, even doing this work, we didn't say, do we need to lock the doors today? Do we need to, um, to be on guard? Do we need to have a security team in place? And it's possible that we need to have those conversations. But, but I guess my point here is more the response difference of what happens across the board in the nation to the black community, to people of color with black and brown skin who, uh, who see that this has happened yet again. And so I walk, the, I walk out the door different today. Then you walked out the door. Yeah. um, It was a tough week. uh, Because it feels like open season. Mm. Right? Mm, I said this earlier, yeah. So I was telling my wife, what that felt like Mm. was, (laughs) feels like a group of deer meeting in the woods, Mm. having a meeting before deer hunting season. (laughs) Mm. And what the elder deer would tell to the rest is say, hey, you know, it can happen anywhere, anytime. Mm. And and you got to be weary because they are licensed to kill us. Mm. And for me, 
most African-American people won't walk into a store where somebody feels licensed to physically kill us. But, so that's, that's like the overt, that's the extreme racist guy, right, who, who, who thinks like, I think the issue they said was replacement, right, like there's gonna be more black and brown people, and so he's fighting that, so. I guess in his mind, in order to combat that, maybe I'll kill some black people, so mm. slow it down, whatever. But for me, like, the reason I love you and this church is because the issue for us, most of us, though we, you know, we won't be in that situation where it'll prove fatal, we get killed all the time, though. Mm -hmm. So the same system, in my humble opinion, that raised that guy, right, also raises the person who doesn't have to be, who would never be that person, but who also isn't conscious of the hardship of black skin. Mm -hmm. So when we would go to interview for a job, of course, he's not going to physically kill us, but doesn't appreciate what we bring. Yeah. So there's a whole nother group of people who kill hopes, yeah. who kill dreams. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the person who might kill us with an ink pen yeah. to say, to deny you a loan or admittance. And so that person's weapon of choice might be an ink pen or a boardroom or whatever. And so, and so understanding, though, that unless we come into godly consciousness about all being God's people and, and the impact of race, because race matters, uh, more people probably are damaged with an ink pen than with mm. a machine gun. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the same system raises up both of those people. Mm -hmm. And you hear the phrase, I think I hear the phrase, but here, this is like the tangible witness of what happens when you, um, you know, racism isn't the shark in the water, but it's the water itself, right? It's everywhere. It's touching everything. Um, I think one of the things that's, that's an early on, I guess in the overall discipleship of, of, um, of this work of reconciliation and pushing out these things is to understand that if you, if you grew up in America as a white person, you swam in those waters. And you don't get to step out of the water and say you're not wet. Does that make sense? So there's, there's this sense of, um, you know, as a church where, where we have, as we're trying to uphold these values, as we're trying to, to come at this and stand against incorrect ideas, against people of color, against women, against people with um, a different socioeconomic status than, than maybe all of us grew up in, um, we want to remain com committed, but there's almost, uh, to get there, you, to even have the foothold, the, the ability and the platform to speak on that, I, um, I think over and over this last week I was having this conversation multiple times, but one of the first barriers for... Um, white people to overcome is, is our participation in the problem of this. And not to dodge it and not to um, try, try to, uh, to get out of that. Um, and so, so here, is, uh, here is something that I'm often, when I'm talking to people, that I often have to just say point blank, 
Because if you haven't caught it up to this point, this is a, tr- a truth, this is a true statement that I, I'm Eric Thien, I am racist. You see, and so you hear that, and you know how scary that word is. And there's a fear that causes us not to just say that, not to just admit that, but I was born in America. I was raised in America on a country that was built on racialized values, and I was discipled by the ideologies of a, of a racialized community that benefited white people and came at the expense of people of color. And so as I have these conversations, it's like we want to constantly separate ourselves from that kind of racist, right? So you may not be a radicalized white supremacist, a KKK member, a skinhead, but make no mistake, you've been discipled by a culture that centers, that assumes whiteness is correct, that assumes it is best, that assumes it is morally and spiritually more accurate than anyone else, that assumes that it is superior. That's white supremacy. The church in America didn't do any better. And we're still the most segregated, one of the most segregated times of the week. And part of our attempt here is to fight that idea, is to come against that. And the enemy has done a really good job of, um, of, of building that stronghold. And I always quote this quote because I think it's helpful. Um, because in lots of ways you can say, well, is, is this just progressivism? Is it um, you know, some kind of form of, of liberal ideology? Albert Tate, who's a very well-known, recognized theologian, he's a leader in the Christian church restoration movement, He says this, and he built an entire series um, of teachings, a master class about it. It says, racism was discipled into the church, and it must now be discipled out of the church. And so I don't make this public thing. I'm not trying to embrace negative ideologies. I'm not trying to, um, uh, uh, on the other hand, though, uh, try to dodge the reality of something. So when I make a statement like, I am racist, my opinion, my desire to say that is to open and break down walls that we need to get past the fear of that word as a first step towards discipling it out. Sociologists, counselors use this all the time, right? You can't get, move forward in something if you can't admit that there's a problem. And so there's this recognition that there's something there that has to be done, and it's a first step, and it's this and only this that helps us move forward in our discipleship of reshaping a worldview, of reshaping our social orientation and our theology. Um, I have these conversations all the time, and so I've, I, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of different things to be said in this, but, but, but this is part of this discipleship process. This is part of the assumption of Common Ground Northeast, that when we come into this place, that we have crossed this line already so that we can get over the fear of being called that word, so we can get over the fear of different statements that get lumped into different groups so that it can be rooted out of us and we can grow towards beneficial mutual equality, equity, and reconciliation and justice inside of this country, inside of this church, even when it comes out of our own church and even when we have our own missteps. And so you've seen me apologize at least three times and different levels. Some of them were just small things that felt that we needed to say and some were larger ones that came from a deep place where I had to really submit myself to some things that even I didn't understand fully. It took some time with my 
um, brothers and sisters of color to say, okay, so when you said this, this happened, and when this happened, when you kind of ignored this, or maybe moved too fast past that little thing, this, this conversation that happens over and over and submitting yourself to the confrontation that takes place when that happens. And so even, um, even as we have addressed through, through email in this last week some statements that were made from our, from our stage that were racially insensitive in the least, um, offensive to many people, and I had many people um, reach out to me, both white and in the black community as well, who said, Wait, hold up, that, that wasn't okay, what, what just happened there? And I think part of what it, it, what it is, is is learning to live in the confrontation of this and, and um, enduring uh, the breakdown of the fragility that tends to take place for people who don't have to deal with conflict very regularly. And so as we, we walk in these things, like there, there was, um, there was a, a, a couple of days period of a lack of response, and I think that was too long. And I personally, my lack of response in the moment of that last week was a problem. And so my, my apology starts right there. Um, as we um, come forward with the response, it, it highlights that there's still some more work to be done inside of our church. There's still some more work to be done. As much as you say thank you for the space to be able to talk about these things, I think we have to recognize that we're still walking through this process. We haven't arrived. We've never claimed that there is an arrival or a destination, but that we will probably for our entire lives be walking through the reconciliation process and learning about little things that have come up and so an awkward dismissal of or ignoring the pain and offense instead of confronting it has further hurt people, and I apologize for that. As we're walking through this, we want to recognize that even that moment created more division in our own values. We have a stated value that we're trying to accomplish. We want to seek after the Revelation 7-9 um, paradigm to see every tribe, tongue, and nation represented, that, that whatever it's going to be like in heaven, we want to start creating that here and now as it is. And so as we dedicate ourselves, I want to say thank you to those who called out and held accountable. I want to say thank you to those who reached out to us and asked what was going on, and, and that there is this continued stance of nothing less than a rediscipleship. Of, of, of removing what has, been, um, what has been grown inside of us. Um, I, I don't know if you have any, I mean, I, I don't know if you have any responses um, you know, know, to that, Pastor Ken. Absolutely, man. I only to think that this is what I came for. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Right, so I'm not here because there are no black churches. Yeah. Uh, Yep. <laughs> I turned down a job at a black church to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so two, in fact. Maybe three. <laughs> one in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this is the work I want to do. This is, we, we need each other. Mm -hmm. um, so if this church, I came here to do the mission, right? Like I thought I had something to offer so if this church says we invite all people, so like when you send an invitation out, like you got to clean up your house because somebody might show up, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to throw some stuff under the bed and in the closet and all mm -hmm. that, right? <laughs> got to do what you got to do, brother. <laughs> um, if someone wanted to take you up on the invitation, um, would they feel good in your house? Mm -hmm. 
Right. And yeah. um, I think the black church prepared me very well. I'm a third generation pastor. But I believe that we have to do it together. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is, the, this, is, this is what I came for. So for me, like the party just got started. I'm down. Like I think it's great. I think that this is where we should be. For me, this is a great opportunity. I'm like, okay. Uh, so persecuted but not forsaken. <laughs> Cast down but I'm not destroyed. Mm-hmm. Like this is what I came for. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So my wife and I, yesterday she led the women's meeting. And maybe I understand it was a tough week. So yesterday at the women's meeting, everybody left, and she and I, she was vacuuming the foyer, and you know I was taking out the trash, and we came in here and prayed on the altar, and I said like, I, I think this is my church, mm-hmm. and she said it's funny you said that like, this is where we belong, this is our church, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, and like the church we left and the church we've always gone through, it's not perfect. But there's work to be done. So I think as far as I'm concerned, this is what I came to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm not afraid of it. I'm not scared. I think probably I'm just now able to bring my value. Mm-hmm. So it's all good for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a, I think it, part, of, part for me, it's like I have to recognize that that is a grace that you are giving. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not owed. We, we said, I can't remember who said it in our church, but there was a point where we started on this journey and came to a recognition. Well, why, why are there not more people of color showing up? Well, because we have a white context. And one of the questions um, that kept kind of coming up is that as we do this, uh, we have to remember that the, any person of color does not owe us anything for getting our hearts right. That there is, a, um, there is work to be done in getting, getting our hearts right and decentering certain things so that we don't... Um, make things uncomfortable or, or unsafe. I still say we're probably not quite comfortable um, yet, but we're, we're hoping to move in that direction. Um, but it's a grace. Any, any person of color that wants to come in and work with us and be a part of a congregation like this, there is a sense of, I'm going to walk in, in, the, um, in the structure, in the... In the um, in the ways in which you do things and normalize your own culture, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to subside my preferences, my culture, and the way I would structure things and grace you with the ability to have these conversations. So, I mean, maybe that's a thank you, but, it, but I guess it's an, a, a recognition that this is not easy for you to come in here and yeah. say, I'm, I'm, we're, that we're just starting. You know, a thousand percent. Um, we're all called to something greater and bigger than, mm-hmm. than where we are, right? Like, I actually think I'm an ambassador here. I think the church prepared me to be here. I think that there's a truth, though, that you guys know my story that happened to me in Terre Haute. So mm-hmm. I think I have supernatural reasons and convictions for being here. So I can stand the tide. Uh, the thing that I told you the first day I walked in here mm-hmm. is that I can't say I do anything better. 
but I do everything different, right? <laughs> like nothing here is familiar to me, man. <laughs> like, like, yeah, nothing here is familiar, yeah. bro. Hey, but, this is familiar. Yeah, well, I brought that. <laughs> and that, right? <laughs> uh, but the people, right, like, like one of the things Lord and I said, I think once you start dealing with people, then community forms, and we mm-hmm. feel we feel community mm-hmm. here. Um, so no, it's it's not. I think probably the main thing is in the black church, everybody's talking about this. Yeah, like like everybody's preaching about this. Everybody's addressing New York because every black pastor doesn't want people to give up on God, mm-hmm. right? Like so, so mm-hmm. that happens. And like, oh man, hold up, where's God, right? Because he has the authority and this couldn't happen. So, so if I was preaching, pastoring a black church today, I'd have to come in and say, and I'm going to say it here, like, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Weeping may endure for the night. I'd, I'd have to try to galvanize and lift spirits so people don't quit. Um, and the fact that, that, that I, can, I can have somewhat of that conversation here, to me, is, mm. is progress. Mm. Uh, it's good. Yeah. good. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, right? But the Lord keeps them. Yeah. Keeps all of his bones, mm. not any are broken. There would have to be, it could never be business as usual if 10 people lost their lives. Yeah. And it, it just as easy could have happened anywhere in America as there. Mm. Every black pastor had to address that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the in the context of of our relationship, I, I mean, I can't. I keep thinking this. We have these conversations all day throughout the weeks. Um, we we rearranged our office so we share an office. Uh, we gave Jody the big office because <laughs> uh, she's really in charge. <laughs> Uh, of making sure things, uh, you know, happen as they're supposed to. Um, but she has room to kind of do, do some of the things that she needs to do uh, for preparation with the children. But what it's created for us is the ability to get to know each other much faster than you all have a chance to get to know Pastor Ken. Um, than, than the people who have come from the healing place and, and people who have seen you have gotten to be able to know me. And so sometimes um, it's easy, I think, for us to get ahead of ourselves without realizing that many of you have not been a part of the conversations that we're having behind the scenes and the cultural negotiations, and the things that you and I have already agreed upon, um, you know, as we move forward, and the understandings, and the, the ability to go back on Monday after a Sunday, and talk through some of the differences in the way things happen, and how um, strange things feel. So I, I love, actually, that you're getting maybe a little bit of those conversations right now. You're getting let in behind the scenes, um, you know, for this, uh, for this moment. Um, and, and as our heart is to focus on this I don't know, this goal of becoming a new church. I mean, I feel like God's doing work. We're, we certainly haven't arrived, and, 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 and we're probably going to have some more mess-ups along the way. And, and I think um, as we're cultivating on one end the ability to deal in um, uh, self, self-reflection as, as the white community um, stumbles into things and is trying to recognize, even with good hearts and intentions at times, and still being wrong that you have to be able to have a tenderness in your heart to confront yourself, to assess yourself, and to be able to be confronted. 
And so as we're walking through this, one of the things I always try, and, and I have this conversation again a lot with people over lunch, um, uh, b- believe it or not, white pastors think we take this too far at times, okay? Let's, like, that's a thing that I, I enter into on a regular basis as I'm talking with them. Like, y'all are kind of taking this um, into a different direction. It doesn't have to be as aggressive. It doesn't have to be, and look, it took us a long time to get here. So I don't even want to pat ourselves on the back because we're still nowhere near where we need to be. But, but this came from somebody who is, who is talking to me, because um, uh, often it's like, hey, it takes time for the white community to learn these things. Even if you're right, even if I agree with your sentiment, the speed at which you're doing it is just impossible. People are going to leave, and people have left. People are going to get offended, and people get offended. And, and as this happens, one of the things I'm always trying to make sure that people understand, okay, yes, I agree with you, a reorientation. It's a rewiring from the discipleship that has, has taken place inside of America. It's an internalizing, I tried to think of all these descriptions, internalizing a body of knowledge, trying to learn how to put that into practice. It's nothing less than a paradigm shift. But I wanna remind us that at the same time that there is a cost on the other side for as long as it takes us to engage in this rediscipleship. That there is a social violence, we've used that term before, that takes place inside of any community of color for as long as it takes the white community to catch up to the reality of what's happening. The cost of endured uh, by, by people of color of less opportunities for advancement, of the boardroom, of the pen being used as a weapon, of lower pay rates getting profiled, pulled over. It's a cost that by not doing the hard work of rediscipleship in the church, the people are emboldened to siege the U.S. Capitol. It's the cost that a black mother can call an ambulance in Indiana, Indianapolis. Say my son has a mental health issue. He's having an episode and I need an ambulance and the police show up and the, ch- and, and the kid uh, eventually gets murdered. She asked him at the door, you're not going to kill him, are you? Did you hear that? A mental health issue. No, that's what's going on. And on the other side, a heavily armed white man in an act of domestic terrorism enters a grocery store and kills 10 people, and he is captured safely. If this work feels hard, it is worth it. If this work feels hard, it is so outrageously worth it because the cost is so much higher than our discomfort. Sometimes pitted as safety, I don't feel it's safe to be honest about my It's not unsafe for you. It is literally unsafe for some people. You are being discomforted. You are having to learn what it's like to deal in confrontation, in self-confrontation. And that hurts, but I'm telling you, the cost on the other side should compel us out of love to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes by any means necessary. Jesus, do the hard work that has to happen so that the culture adjusts. And so I want to compel us as those who are hearing this from the white community and, and wanting to maybe retreat or opt out or find a different way to deal in this. Look, it... If you keep dodging this, nothing changes and people will die dead in the streets for it. 
Do not forget that. And so as we're trying to learn this, as it's slow to come, there's this other equal exchange of, of the fact that it becomes less likely that somebody can get killed for these. As we change the temperature of this, as we try to engage and speak into areas, as, as you, you were saying here earlier um, this week, that there are places that me as a white person am going to have the ability to speak into that you're not given access to. Amen. If I'm not willing to step in there and do that thing, nothing changes. Yeah. Through positioning and resources. Yeah. And biases. Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I'll, no, no, I'll, you're good. You're good. Um, I, I would just say, yeah, like, one of the things that, like, every black person walks through life, and we're taught to face the facts, right? Like, this is, this is, this is something that my mother taught me, her mother taught her. Here's what's true, son. You're always going to have to face the facts. And, and what that means is, is that for people who are predisposed to judging your face, your facts will never matter to them. And that's the world I live in. Mm. And I cannot hide my face. Yeah. Right? So if I walk in, you could walk into a room, if it was full of white people, they wouldn't know you hold these convictions yeah. unless you opened your mouth. Yeah. Right? They would assume things about me. Yeah. Right? So, and so we all understand that. And concerning the church, like, this is a loving place. This is a godly place. The average black person, not all, the average black person works Monday through Friday in a place in America where white people have control. Right? they more likely to be CEO, boss, owner, or whatever. Not in every case, but on average. And so one of the things that I hope we can do here in culture shifting mm -hmm. is not make it seem like that scenario that plays out in our life Monday through Friday is the same scenario that plays out inside the church. Mm -hmm. Or it would be too easy to opt out of that. Yeah. Right, mm. and I think that, like, I know that God is calling this church to do this mm -hmm. work, and I know that everybody here is a part of that. I know that we'll be fought satanically, yep, uh, because we endeavor to do this work. Yeah. And if this seed that we plant or that God has planted here germinates. And we're able, through the aid of the Holy Spirit, thank yeah. you for preaching on the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. This is not going to happen. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, said the mm -hmm. Lord of hosts. Mm -hmm. Only the Holy Ghost can usher into, us into this place. Yeah. And so this emphasis on the move of the spirit, uh, the supernatural move of God yeah. that would let something happen at Common Ground Northeast that is not common. Yep. Man, uh, that if that dominoes falls, then I know Satan knows that, that people will grow in, grow in, gain insight from that and strength. This is supposed to happen. We are supposed to do it together. Um, and I'm a thousand percent, I'm here for that. I'm here for the supernatural move of God. I'm here for this church to be unlike any other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm here for, dog. Yeah. And like, 
play. I would say this. I want to give this admonition. Yeah. To black people. Yeah. You want to say? <clears throat> I've, got, I've got one for the white people, so. <laughs> one, two, punch. Let's do it. White people first or black people first? No, man, we're going first this time. <laughs> well, y'all going to have to set it back. <laughs> we're going first this time. Do it. Here's what I would say, man. Why not quit? Mm-hmm. Make me want to holler. Throw up both my hands. Because I do believe that arm of equity that we talked about that God has, that has me here, that let me meet Abby seven years ago. I believe God is moving. And we can't quit because... Too many people have died to make this a, real, a possibility, and it's our job to make it a reality, not to let their blood be in vain. So if I were given an ammunition to black people, and the one I would give to myself is, um, I would say this, let every voice and sing till earth and heaven rings it rings with the harmony of liberty and this is what we've always done we've always rejoiced over our pain so let our rejoicing rise Rise high as the listening skies. God is listening. And let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Continue to sing our song. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun. This is Martha's song, by the way. Of a new day begun. There's only one thing to do. Let us march on till victory is won. We cannot die here. We cannot quit here. If we die here, then we do not do the ten people who died justice. They died here. We didn't. We cannot let the fact that they died here be in vain. Stony the road we trod. Bitter the chastening rod. Felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Hope died before it was born. Yet with a steady beat have not our weary feet come to the place for our father's side. This was true, black people. We have come over a way that the tears have been watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered. Out from the gloomy past till now we stand at last where the white gleam of the bright star is cast. You are the God of our weary years. And you are, hallelujah, the God of our silent tears. 
Thou who has brought us this far on the way, we still look to you. We still love you. We don't understand you. But you were good and you got us here somehow. Thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever on the path we pray. I think that's what we got to do, y'all. That's all we have. Thank you. I think if I, if I had some words to leave us <clears throat> in the white community, it's a similar charge. Um, is, is this work difficult? Uh, yes, it is. Have we sustained losses? We have. Is it hard to stand here and proclaim I am racist? It is. But it's a thing that has to be done in order to move the ball forward. It's a thing that has to be uh, to thicken our skin in order to be able to deal in the self-confrontation, the communal confrontation that it takes so that we can move forward and grow in our own rediscipleship and remove this weed out from what has grown in with the good stuff that God has sown in us. It's necessary, and it is the tiniest sacrifice in light of the potential outcome. It is the tiniest sacrifice. I don't, I don't know what, other, what better way to implore us to move forward than to understand what the consequences are on the other side when we do not do it. And we have a burden to carry to pick up that we could choose to leave on the ground if we wanted. But God has told us, pick this thing up, carry it with our black and brown brothers and sisters, and ask, fight for, push for inside of us, inside of our churches, inside of our communities for the social landscape of equity and justice to be changed. I always uh, think to myself that we shouldn't, in, in the verse it says, don't grow weary in doing good. We're doing good, and we know this because the enemy hates what we're doing. Amen. It's so obvious that the enemy has done such a great job of building this stronghold and fortifying it inside of our country that he's going to fight for this. And when he sees a church that wants to pursue this, even has the desire at all, no matter what level of ground we've taken, he's like, I'm going to steal that desire from you. I'm going to remove that. I'm going to throw as many landmines in front of you as I possibly can. I'm going to destroy that because it pleases the enemy that we have segregated Sunday mornings. It pleases the enemy that we can't deal with our own sin issues in order to welcome and create justice in areas where it doesn't exist, our black and brown brothers and sisters. And if we get fatigued and if we get, give in, I want to remind you that every person of color cannot opt out of this conversation. And so stay in this fight. I want to invoke, just as we end here, the words of Dr. King exhorting us to expedience. He says this, we have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. And as Dr. Jamar Tisby added to King's words, when it, comes to the oppo when it comes to opposing racism as a nation, 
we have overdosed on the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Don't give up, but please apply the fierce urgency of now on top of that. Do what it takes. Move quickly through this process of reorientation, of rediscipleship. Let the light and the fire of this, of this fierce urgency begin to burn bright in churches and overflow into the streets as we say every single Sunday. Take what we're doing here. Be scattered. And do this work in your homes, do this work at your dinner tables, do this work at your places of employment, but that it would be lit in the throes of the church in the powerful name of Yeshua, that should be no, no, no uh, uh, mystery, that should not be a surprise to us, that should be the assumption, of course, King Jesus wants this. And he shows what it looks like at the end. Um, as, as we end here, I don't know if you had anything else that you wanted to say, but we, we, we did want to invite our elders up at the end as a closing prayer. Yeah, and that would be a valuable question, I think. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, no, uh, praise the Lord. Does anybody have any questions? Anybody want to fight? <laughs> How did you mean that? Not me. <laughs> Certainly meant that. Uh, with me, though. Anybody down for that? Amen. 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 Um, let's. Let's let the Holy Spirit, let's keep preaching on the Holy Spirit, uh, take us to another place yeah. uh, where perhaps we've not been before. And let that Spirit be our guide to go to a level. If we all submit to that Spirit, uh, we'll find it easier to, to submit to one another. Um, I would say this too. For this value, Common Ground Northeast has already cost you a lot. So we're probably close as long as everybody knows. Like if you, if you spend $8 and you didn't get there and somebody said, well, if you spend ten more, you, two more, you'll get there. You have to spend the two to justify the eight. And I would say... Whatever we have to do going forward, we've already cost us so much. Let's pay that as well to justify the overall expenditure. Mm -hmm. We're close. We're not there, but we're close. And I would say, I don't know everything. I have been black all my life. I think I have something to help us. Mm -hmm. All right. mm -hmm. um, and I'm prepared to do and give that. But that cost as well. So I want to win. Be clear. I came to win. Mm -hmm. It ain't all up to me. But dang it, I came to win. Yeah. Know that. 
and I'm not playing. I came to win. I was sent to win. Amen. That's what we're going to do. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Um, well, thank, thank you all for being here today. I do want to go ahead and invite um, Elder Jenny Fernzer and Elder Anthony Dumas, where you at, June, over here, to go ahead and come up. Um, again, this is not a typical Sunday gathering for us, and I know the kids are starting to get restless, but we did want to just have some time of prayer at the end. If there were any further questions that you wanted to um, ask us about, please feel free to reach out. Um, that's part of this, is opening up the communications um, if, if there are uh, uh, some, some aspects of this that you had questions, comments, concerns, just please um, come and let us know. Uh, but it's our prayer that we would join together and double down on this value that we've already engaged in and ask Jesus to take us that next step further into where he wants us. I want to read before um, and just kind of use this as a, as a final verse here and then I'll let you all, you all are not in camera. You don't know that, but I know it because I'm up here all the time. Go ahead and come on in between these little blue dots. The movie magic just died. Sorry, there's blue dots on the ground. <laughs> Help us know when we're in the camera and out. Um, but this verse that I just want to do, and then if you don't mind, if you just want to pray and then doom, you can kind of close us out and we'll, we'll be done for the day. Oh, you oh yeah, perfect, perfect. Um, Jesus um, draws from the tradition of Isaiah when he says this. In Luke 4, and we've used this verse and taught on it many times, um, but recently just seeing um, when the fall happens in, in creation, when Genesis, uh, we see in Genesis 3 that creation falls and everything is affected. And everything becomes captive at that moment. The, the work and the toil becomes captive. The childbearing parts of, of uh, humanity become captive. We see them go captive in Egypt, in Assyria, in Babylon, and then in Rome and in Greece. All the time that we look through the scriptures, God's people have to hold on to this theology of captivity. Paul says that creation from that moment groans to be let go from its captivity. And Jesus enacts a ministry of captivity. And what do you do? How do you minister to people in captivity? You preach and you proclaim liberty. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was the custom, stood up and read from the scroll the prophet Isaiah, which was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down with eyes on everyone in the synagogue, were fastened to him. And he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the ministry that we inherit and that we walk in. Would we set the captives free? Would we participate in this ministry as it's unfolding on earth and allowing the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? Elder Jenny, will you close us in prayer and doom? Father in heaven, this is, a, this is heavy today. It's been a heavy week on so many different levels. We are 
coming to you as I was praying this week about our situation, all I could think of were the words, Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on the white church. Have mercy on our black church. Have mercy on this congregation. Have mercy on us as individuals. We all have work to do, but particularly those of us who've been privileged in this community. Forgive us, Father, for the assumptions that we've grown up with. Forgive us for not caring enough to move out of our space, to find out what it's like to be not in the majority. Forgive us, Father, for taking for granted the opportunities that we have that other people do not, and just being blind to the hurt and the deep-seated righteous anger that exists in people of color. Father, I ask that you will help this church to be a bridge. Yes, Father, for um, first among ourselves, help us to develop strong, deep friendships with one another. Help us to hear our stories. Help us to care about what happens to each other. And then help us to reach out to our community. Father, so many of us have prayed that you will use us who are stumbling around trying to figure this out to be a beacon of what people who are not alike can do in you. That this can be to your glory that this can bring people to you who don't know you, who are skeptical of you, who think that you don't care. We need you, Lord. We need the Holy Spirit to wrap us in his wisdom, in his discernment, in his comfort, in his courage and boldness. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us this mission that you thought maybe we could be the ones in this community to work on this. It's a privilege, Father, for us to be a part of your plan. I thank you for the boldness of Pastor Ken and Pastor Eric, the willingness to be transparent, the willingness to lead us through this. I thank you for other voices in this congregation, both black and white, who've been willing to speak up and speak truth when it was hard to speak truth. 
Father, I pray for each individual here that you will lay us wide open to your pruning, that we will lay ourselves totally transparent before you, that we will be willing to do the deep, hard, internal work of learning what what needs to be happening in our lives for transformation into the character of Christ. Father, we praise you. We love you, and we are so honored to be called your children. In Jesus' name I pray. Um, just thank you, everybody, for, for being here online, listening. Just go back to relationship. Relationship and love. I see you. Can you say it with me? I see you. I see you. When you walk out, make sure you're seeing, folks. Make sure you're seeing. And think to yourself the question behind the question. Don't be afraid to ask a brother something or a sister something that, that, that you don't know or you're not used to and that's my promise as I won't be an elder but I will be here and we will be continue to work on relationships with the guys around here um, we're going to see each other in a new way and we're going to continue to work with that it's hard work but it, it can also be fun this can be beautiful so don't walk out of here so heavy thinking that it's no this is beautiful work and if you guys are willing to do it we're willing to do it come on let's go let's go Always remember that. So, so God is a big God. Um, he's brought us all here together for a reason. He's brought us through this battle for a reason. And for those that have continued to be here for years and, and fight through this, hey, more power to you. So I thank you and uh, just blessed to be here. So thank yeah. you. Amen. Cool. Oh, I have a mic. I was going to take yours. You're like, you got one. Let me, let me just do our closing commission here. Would you stand with us as we close our service today? <clears throat> Would you go now from the gathered church to the scattered church and in all that you do throughout the week as ministers and ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation? Would you go out knowing that we have the, the ability to make change in the power of the Holy Spirit and through the ways of Jesus Christ and through the ways of Jesus Christ alone? Be, don't let what happens here stay here. Take it with you. Take it with you everywhere you go. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. amen.